0: This is Only the Strong Survive, a podcast powered by Khan Media, where we dive deep into the world of business, leadership, and innovation. I'm your host, Dan Khan, and I'm honored to have you join us today. So let's get ready to learn some survival skills together. Welcome back. Print media, as we all know, has faced a sort of a rough ride over the last decade or so. Uh, with the rise of digital platforms and the entrance and then exit of private equity and, and large corporate publishing companies. And it's been an interesting thing to sort of watch and work in that ecosystem. And our next guest has not only survived those changes, but has thrived in the middle of them. Today, we're very honored to have David Lillywhite on the show, joining us from the U.K. He's a trailblazer in the print enthusiast media world. David is the current editorial director of Magneto magazine. Uh, a world-class quarterly publication that celebrates the best of today's classic and collector cars. Uh, Previously, he was at a variety of publications he'll tell us about, including as editor of Octane Magazine, uh, generally considered one of the best uh, collector car magazines in the world. Uh, David was really my first choice when we decided we wanted to do an episode talking about sort of the evolution of print over the last 10 to 20 years. Uh, And he has joined us today not only to talk about uh, the evolution of print enthusiast media how one can be successful in that world but also to make a, an announcement that i'm excited to hear about as well so so david thank you so much for joining us today
1: Ah, no, thank you it's really good
0: so i guess to start before we get into your announcement can you give us some background uh about your path and, and your history in in the publishing world and, and how you got to where you are today
1: i started out in engineering and uh the laboratory i was working in everybody was into cars and motorbikes so there were car magazines and bike magazines everywhere so we used to spend every lunch hour looking through those and I just got to a point where I thought actually I'd rather be working on a magazine which you know I was young I was naive but I just wrote to some of these um, magazines and said could I have a job and um, you know I don't know how but one of them wrote back and said yeah come for an interview and uh, I was offered a job and that was Practical Classics uh, in the UK, which is a, you know, still a really good magazine in the UK. Um, And so kind of uh, suddenly my life changed completely. And I was doing what I was really passionate about, which was cars. Um, And from there, I went to Thoroughbred and Classic Cars. I went to Bike Magazine. Uh, I went freelance for a while, working for all manner of titles. And through all this. I had it in my head that actually, you know, my dream would be to do my own magazine and I kind of felt that the magazines that were out there weren't really reflecting what people thought about the sort of collector car world. So um, in in the way that all the best ideas come together, I was in a pub with a pint of beer, which is uh, already sounding very English, I know, and uh, I bumped into Jeff Love, who I'd worked with previously. And we got chatting and uh, talking about magazines. And he kind of said, so what, you want to do your own magazine? And I said, yeah, of course. And he said, yeah, so do I. Um, And from that conversation was born Octane magazine, uh, which we launched in 2003 with two other guys, Sanjay Sitana and Robert Kucha, And um, we just had this kind of amazing ride, really, right through. I did 170 issues of, of, of Octane um, and then decided that's probably enough for any man, went off, did some digital work as well, wanted to learn that side of things, websites and all that, social media etc. Um, and then um, once again got chatting to Jeff Love and um, obviously a lethal combination because we decided to do it all over again and uh, start a new publishing company. And that's when we launched Magneto, which is a a quarterly print magazine, um, which we launched in 2018. So um, just coming up for five years ago. Um, I have
0: every issue of Magneto, and I would say calling it a magazine is a bit of a disservice. It really is more (laughs) like a it's a coffee table book, really. It's 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 a phenomenal piece of work. It's very heavy. heavy. Even the packaging is sort of hardcore. Like the packaging is very robust, so you get this. And I don't know if the UK uh, subscribers get the same packaging that we get over here, but it's it's a it's a substantial package. Yeah, Um, we get the
1: same.
0: So Octane, and then Magneto, and you also do. uh, You've got a few other publications and a couple of other irons in the fire. You you could tell us about that as well.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you the existing stuff, and then I'll tell you the news—the exciting, yeah. the the real yeah, so news. Don't you, you have
0: some news, so what is it? <laughs> let's get into it. What's the news?
1: So um, we got talking to the current owners, the publishing company that owns Octane magazine, and also the Historic Motoring Awards, which is a sort of international event that's linked to Octane, and um, we've ended up buying it. So. We are suddenly um, the owners of Octane all over again, and the four founders of Octane have been reunited. Uh, So this is very, very recent news, and it's, you know, really exciting for us.
0: Well, congratulations. That's a huge deal. So you now have a monthly and a quarterly and an annual and a concourse and an awards program. Yes. That's fantastic. And and for those who are listening who don't know what the HMAs or Historic Motoring Awards are, it's basically the Academy Awards of the classic car community, right? Is that fair? Like it's a gala. It's in this beautiful setting and everyone's in black tie. And you bring people in from all over, the, quite literally, I think, all over the world to mm-hmm. attend. And we've had some clients over the years, the Peterson, the Mullen, have, have won HMAs and it is a big deal. So that, that's so. I have so many questions. So first of all, how how, up until this announcement, how big is the team you and Jeff and the team you work with that does Magneto and Conqueror and all that?
1: It's not very big. Um, We have myself and Jeff, basically, I do the words, he does the numbers, that's the simple split. Uh, He's the businessman, and I'm very much not. Uh, We then have an office administrator, Uh, we've just taken on someone to do the marketing, uh, and subscription side of things. We have a deputy editor who's only been with us a few weeks and uh, is probably wondering what the hell he's done. But he's enjoying it, I think. And we have a staff writer. And that's that's the full staff at the moment, or it was until we took on Octane. and uh, We've pretty much tripled our staff now.
0: So that um, was going to be my next question. That's a, a, a going to a monthly is a, and it's not just a monthly, it's, <clears throat> it's a monthly with you know, global circulation and, 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 and a provenance that I think is second to none. So how many people work on Octane?
1: Um, the team, I think there are 11 people we're taking on, um, including advertising. Um, and uh, yeah, a decent size editorial team, it's about five or six editorial. Um, so, yeah, it's suddenly we're a lot bigger. Uh, it's a really good team. It's mostly the people that I worked with before I left in 2017. So, you know, it's kind of been reunited with a lot of friends.
0: That's phenomenal. Now, when you started Octane with, with Jeff and, and your other two partners, that was under the umbrella of a publishing company, right? Is that how that worked? What, what did Not that look initially. like? Not we initially. Okay. Into- yep. Yep. Okay. So they came in and they acquired... The company i suppose and that's then right yeah. did you all become employees of, of dennis is that how it worked yeah we
1: did we were in a lockout deal for three years but we loved it so much we stayed um i think every single person stayed
0: so what was that like going from working for other publishing companies to suddenly you get together you're a little sort of crew and say okay we're going to do this our way in your mortgage your houses which is a bold move You start an independent company, you start, you said, I'm going to do things my way. And I remember those early octane issues and how different they were. And I I just remember just the quality of, of the photography, of the writing, of the paper, um, you had sections in there that were really interesting, you know, where you'd go in and ask some prominent collector, all the stuff on his desk. And like, there was all these like really cool items. I remember just that particular section fascinated me. Cause it was like now like pocket dump content is like a regular thing you see all over the internet. But back then that was unusual. So it was really different. And then suddenly what led the decision to sell to Dennis? And, and then what was that transition like for, for all of you?
1: It was, um, Do you know what? It was a bit daunting at first because, as you say, it was our baby. Um, Every little bit of it had been within our control. But we could see that it was it could grow even further. And we needed that backup then by that point of a big company with a big um, subscriptions department and a marketing department and people to look after events. You know, when we started, we were in an office and it was like, or who's gonna who's gonna clean the washrooms? <laughs> it was like, oh, we don't know these things. Um, there there are so many bits that we were having to do, and so really, after those few years, we'd worked so hard. It, it kind of felt like, right, this is the time to hand some of it over to to people who are really really professional at this. And it did. It it grew. Um, Octane grew through that. It became more professional. Um, there were times when it was frustrating, when people didn't understand what we were on about, what our vision was. But actually, most of the time, Dennis were amazing. They just let us get on with it.
0: And you were there, and I think Dennis owned it, when the print world went through some serious changes where, you know, I I mean, I remember at the time, too, because I was kind of coming out of the print world, right, as that was all happening, that the internet was so disruptive. I think it's hard for people, especially younger people now to understand that there were people who had been in the print magazine publishing industry their entire careers who could not understand how disruptive the internet was going to be. And they really struggled with like the business model of how how are we going to, I mean, I remember having conversations at Peterson Publishing on, on this side of the pond where I was talking to publishers where they're like, well, that internet thing's a fad, it's going to go away. So we'll just, we'll just ignore it. And I'm going like, I I don't, I don't think it's going to go away. So you can't like, the onus is now on us to produce something of quality that will make people want to take the extra effort to go to the mailbox or go to the newsstand versus just sort of business as usual and hope for the best. Like that, that didn't seem like a great plan to me. So what was it like there? Now you're working for a well-respected publishing house. They've bought your baby you're working there, the internet is sort of coming in and changing everything. What what was that experience like?
1: You're very right, actually. Um, I think that's probably where we did fail, Uh, that we did launch a website. And we didn't call it sort of octane.com or anything like that. Um, We tried to we tried a different brand uh, and tried to use that as the the sort of news side of things, uh, while still pushing Octane as the print product. And in those early days, I think we really struggled to split um, the news between digital and print. You know, you kind of, you got a good story and you wanted it in print. So you can, you held off putting it on the website, which we now know is completely the wrong thing to do because someone else will get hold of that news and it will be old news anyway. Um, so we weren't quite right in our strategy there. Um, on the print side, we just kept pushing up the paper quality and the number of pages and the the, the sort of the depth of the magazine. Um, so that kept improving. And um, on the website, we kind of struggled a bit. So we had something that was popular, but not as popular as it could have been with hindsight.
0: And you were there for quite a long time. And the magazine, I think, was almost universally well regarded um when you decided to leave and you you said earlier you sort of wanted to pursue kind of a path in digital to understand that what was you know when you're the editor of what is generally regarded as the best in class of its type that seems a little crazy to me like well you know you're you're at the top of the food chain and and you chose to leave so can you tell us about that a little bit
1: well you know if you're at the top where are you going to go? <laughs> um, that's I've very true. Kind of ideas, Burnout, and I needed. Right? I think that's, I I think that's like. a
0: common malady. That that is common, I think, with our people. the The Bruce Myers of the world are pretty rare. Who buy something and then just keep it for thirty or forty years. Um, I wish that's I was more like true. that, to be honest. But I I tend to hop around a lot as well. Okay. Well, I mean, that makes sense. And I think most people can relate to that. You know, at a certain point you can call it burnout you can call it whatever you want, but some people just want to look for their next sort of adventure. Um, so you, you, you left and you started, uh, you did some work in digital and, and then all of a sudden, I guess you reunite with Jeff and you say, Hey, we're let's, let's get the band back together and let's, let's do this again. And, And you started magneto. Whoa what was different the second time around because this is you know now you're starting a a print publication again but in a totally different environment than the first time you did it
1: yeah very true um it's i think we were looking at it and thinking actually the other magazines by that point had suffered a little bit uh at the hands of publishers it was um a different publisher uh, by then uh, of Octane and some of the other magazines were suffering as well. So the print quality and the paper quality had gone down. The internet had got so much better. There's so much more information uh, on the internet, on collector cars and YouTube had got so good. And we thought, actually, people are getting more than their fill of information and entertainment from the internet and they probably some people could probably do with something less frequent than a monthly lots of people still love a monthly obviously um but we just felt there was that gap to go even higher quality but just four times a year and actually also spend the rest of the time doing other projects and launching other mad things and uh, so partly a lifestyle choice where jeff and i could be more varied in in what we did so that was the thinking but the main thing was just to be able to go even higher quality
0: i think that's fascinating so you know and, and there's now studies coming out it's sort of interesting that show how our brains take in content and, and and function differently when looking at sort of short-form content on the internet versus, you know, the written word on the page. And, and I'm starting to see studies now coming out from even doctors saying, hey, at the end of the night, don't don't lay in bed and look at your phone. It's bad for you. Uh, you know, pick up a book, pick up a piece of print, you know, read something that's long-form. It's better for your attention span. It's better for your sleep cycle. So I, I, I think people are starting to come around to the fact that maybe it's sort of just the hurricane of short form content that is the internet is maybe not always ideal. My wife is irritated by my bedstand because it's, well, about half of the pile on that nightstand is from your company. Uh, so there's just, you know, magazines and books and everything just sort of piled up in this avalanche. But I do think that there are people that still take great value in sort of doing something analog. You know, it's why I think a lot of people wear a wristwatch, not an iWatch for the same reason, right? They, 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 the quality thing is important to them. So, with that in mind, you, you start this quarterly publication. That's I mean, how many pages is is Magneto?
1: Um, it's about two hundred and twenty.
0: Yeah, that's and then on a very thick stock paper, so it's a it's a substantial publication. So, you you went out and and, and, ha- and were you able to start this company with Jeff? Did you you know were you able? Did you have to bring on investors? Was that something you were able to bootstrap? How did you go about the actual starting of 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 that brand from there that's fantastic that's and do you think that would have been the case if it was a major company that had launched it or do you think the fact that you were sort of a startup and in, in that mindset that that allowed you to sort of run really lean like that
1: that's a good question um i i suspect it is oh it was because we were independent um it was just at the time jeff and myself and Um, a handful of really good freelancers, Peter Allen on design, Sarah Bradley on production. Um, uh, we ran incredibly lean and I think that's probably what did it that, yeah, we managed to get away with
0: that. Interesting. Very, very cool. So, so you've done that now for several years and you're the editorial guy. Uh, you're the creative. Jeff is the business side of the house. Um, how was the reception when you went out into the world and said, "Hey, we're launching this new publication"? You know, I assume it's all advertiser supported and um, advertisers. I mean, I, there's some very high end brands that advertise in, in your book. So, um, was that well received in, in, a, in a now digital world? Was that a hard pitch, or did people understand what you were trying to do?
1: It was incredibly well received. Um, I think those people who understand this market, they they get it. They they understand that we actually their brands over the years had, had become even more special if you like and they needed somewhere special to, to show them off. Um even back in two thousand and three it was exactly the same story uh with Octane where so many auction companies and dealers actually wanted somewhere better and more fitting for their for their businesses to advertise. Um and it was just the same with Magneto, everything had moved up a notch again but the other publications maybe hadn't Uh, so we had a very strong reception mostly some said no you're mad Um, we heard print is dead over and over again from you know certain quarters Uh, and some people said the market is saturated Um, in fact we kind of proved that wasn't the case
0: fantastic so now let's fast forward you've you've got um, a successful quarterly, you've got an annual, uh, you've got a concourse. And, and tell us a little bit about that for a minute, because I, 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 I we kind of skipped right over it. But mm-hmm. uh, you do a Concour on Savile Row, which is really neat. How did that come about?
1: That was another of those um, David and Jeff chance conversations, really. We were at the London concours um, a few years ago, and we bumped in. this is pre-COVID – we bumped into um, – the owner of huntsman tailors uh pierre Lagrange, who was a a big uh a, a big car collector and um for anyone who doesn't know savile row in london is kind of the street for bespoke tailoring it goes back to the 1800s early 1800s um and kings and princes and oh, all manner of people uh have of been to Savile Row over the years to have their suits made and it's where the tuxedo was invented as well at Henry Pool. Um Really? So um, yeah we were chatting to Pierre and he was saying look you know you need somewhere to really get some more footfall onto Savile Row because it's quite a daunting place. If you've never had a tailor-made suit and I certainly hadn't then you walk down Savile Row which tailor do you go in and when you open the door are you going to get a good reception? you 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 know you don't really know, it's it's a kind of scary experience. And they wanted to open that up and make people understand that actually these are really friendly places and it's an amazing experience having a tailored suit, something to fit you perfectly. Um, so that obviously, talking to Jeff and I, well, we went, well, you need a car show, of course. And from that it went, I know, we'll red carpet the entire road We'll um, bring manufacturers and private owners in and we'll pair them up with tailors and have VIP areas in all the tailors, but we'll keep the main show open to public for free. So then you get the footfall uh, and it will uh, publicize these amazing cars. It will open up the, the classic car world a little bit more to people. Uh, again, this is centre of London, so, you know, it's a really, really uh, amazing place to be. Uh, and then, of course, Covid hit, so uh, we had to put our plans on hold. But um, we've now done two Concours and Savile Row. We have about 40 cars. We have a gala dinner and a seminar at the Royal Academy of Art. Um We... Uh, pair up with all the tailors as i say where everything is red carpeted so it looks phenomenal and we have a stage and live music and it's just a car event that feels like no other car event the closest there is in the world i think is the um rodeo drive events like the um father's day event that bruce mayer and and co put on um it's very similar to that it's kind of the british version
0: lovely and we uh we are fortunate enough to promote that event, so uh, I, I think that's a, a cool analogy. So <laughs> yeah. I've yet to I've yet to attend your Conquer, I want to go. Um, it's on the bucket list. So okay, so let's move forward now. So so you're you're you've you've done it again. You've started a publication. It's successful. You've got uh, your custom publishing business as well, which is a cool uh, model. I have a copy of the seventieth anniversary book you did for Pebble. It's it's beautifully done. So you're doing you're kind of chugging along, doing your thing, and, and what happens? How does how, how are you how does this deal where suddenly I was kind of joking with you before we started recording that this is sort of a fish that ate the whale scenario where suddenly you you've you're you've acquired the thing that kind of started this party in the first place. So how did that happen?
1: Yeah. It's um uh I, I, I'm still reeling from it, so I'm not entirely sure. We went to the Historic Motoring Awards, um, we being Jeff and I again, um, as uh, we were invited by um, one of the nominees for an award, uh, which was really good of them. And we bumped into one of the executives that we knew from Dennis Publishing Days that had then moved to the new company that had taken over Octane. And... Um, Through a a very brief conversation there, it became clear that Octane could be available. Um, With it would come the Historic Motoring Awards. Um, But they would need to move quickly for that to work just through their kind of what they were doing with the business and going much more on the modern car side of things where Octane didn't fit so well. So we kind of came back and went, right, what do we do? And all along, for years, we've been asked if we were going to go back to Octane and both of us had said, no, no, we've moved on. You know, we do new things. We love trying new things. And we talked about it and we thought, actually, you know, Octane is so respected still. It's so good. Um, But over the last few years, it's probably not been as appreciated as it might have been by the publisher because they've had so many other things to do. Um, you know, they have got a very big new car business uh in the publishing side of things. Um so they you know, maybe Octane had been put to the side a little bit and not understood as much, while we understand it completely. Uh so we said yes. And we said, Okay, we'll we'll um we'll go for it, we'll raise the money. And within four weeks we'd um, we'd sign the deal which is remarkable.
0: That's incredibly fast. So what's the plan? Are you going to continue both publications sort of in parallel? Absolutely. Maybe it's too early to ask that question. No, they
1: live alongside each other. They complement each other. They're actually surprisingly different within this niche of of the car world that we live in. Um, They are quite different and they sit alongside each other quite well. Um, So Octane will continue with the same team, Um, but we're taking the paper back up to where it should be. So heavier grade paper, better printing. Um, And I kind of guess adding a bit more sparkle again. You know, I think every magazine needs a a little refresh occasionally and it's time for Octane to have that refresh. And... um, Put it back out there to the market and remind people just how good it is. And that doesn't sound very modest, but I'm not saying it's good because of me. I'm saying it's good because of the team that's on it at the moment. Um, it's 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 going to be phenomenal. It's a great magazine at the moment, and I think it can really, really continue to go places.
0: So, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot lately is obviously something we've all been dealing with over the last year is the advent of AI mm. and as a creative shop, we, uh, I get this question more often than I'd, than I'd like to be honest, uh, or AI is going to replace everything you do. And, and I, and my typical response to that is, have, have you actually tried using it? Because maybe future versions might, but right now a tool is only as good as its user. And, um, kind of like when the internet started, I, I think people were just Uploading essentially long-form content to the internet, it didn't do all that well, and it's sort of devolved into the, what it currently is, which is TikTok clips and little short-form listicles, and everything has become sort of incentivized to, uh, you know, the the digital publishers seem to be incentivized to just chase clicks and traffic, which means it's a lot of very quick little digestible chunks of content. Uh, I'm I, I'm already seeing AI content starting to show up on some of these lesser respected websites. And you can tell, you can tell by the kind of language and the content that they're posting how a lot of it doesn't make sense. And and something I've been thinking about a lot is the concept that speed kills nuance. And that the thing that I got into this business was, I, I started in my career in, in journalism before I made the jump to PR, because I, loved, I liked to read. And I knew the bylines of all the writers that I enjoyed. And I, I went, you know, whether it was early car and driver and road and track, or even hot rod magazine, or um, you know, Harper's and other non-automotive titles where I, I read because I liked the way certain people wrote. And, and that nuance seems to have kind of disappeared a little bit in the online world. And, and, it, and it does not appear to have disappeared in your world. So how much time and energy do you put into either sticking with freelancers and contributors and staffers that you like, are you looking for new talent? Are there is there new talent out there that people that want to write this kind of content long form? Is it are we all going to be replaced by robots? What's your take on all that?
1: Yeah. Um I'd like to think it's a while before we we're replaced by robots. Um but as you say it's moving fast. Um but no, I think you're right. It's the it's the personalities, isn't it? It's the personalities of the writers, but also the people that they're talking to. And that's not going to come through AI. And we have such amazing people in our worlds that, you know, the old racing drivers, the old engineers, the well, the current engineers and racing drivers as well, um, and the designers and the guys who will, you'll ask a question and they'll just sketch something out quickly to show you um, in a design studio. That will never ever come across uh, with AI. Maybe a buying guide or, you know, something that's more suited to the to the Internet. Maybe that could work with AI. And, you know, I've tried. I've, I've said, all right, write me a uh, a buying guide to chat GPT and it will come up with something. And you go, OK, some of this is right. Some is wrong. It, it reads OK. It's amazing, but it's not right at the moment. Um But we try really hard and I think it's it's the next growth stage for Magneto in particular to to bring in the very best writers and to bring in uh, the best stories. And certainly with Magneto, I don't think we're quite there yet. I think it's we've had some amazing writers, we've had some amazing stories, but I want every single story to feel like that and to be written by an amazing writer. And for all those personalities and those stories and tales to come through. Uh, And I think there's there's, there are quite a few years of being able to do that still.
0: And what do you tell when you I assume in your travels, you meet young people who hear what you do for a living and maybe they know your work, maybe they don't. and, And they get kind of that look on their face and they say, well, how do I do that? What do you tell them? Do you think this is a good time to pursue a career in, in automotive journalism? Is it not? Is it, you know, what, what's your take on all that?
1: Mm. It's a pretty tough time, actually. I mean, it's never, you know, I'll, uh, I could be cynical and tell them they'll never be rich. Um, but, <laughs> you know, what? Well, it's still a bit- Love it.
0: And where do you see this going in the future now that you're, you're sort of managing this little empire? And I know it's still very new. Um, but what's the future look like? Uh, you know, not just for your company and, and your titles, but also for this kind of enthusiast media world. Where do you see this all going?
1: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? There's so much going on at the moment. Um, it feels like our world is the most stable of of, of everything going on at the moment around the world. Um, you know, people still, however bad things are, people still seem to find comfort in buying cars, driving cars, restoring cars, reading about cars. Uh, And I think that's because it's an escape. I think there are political pressures, uh, certainly as far as emissions and fuel that we have to be really aware of. And we can't bury our heads in the sand. You know, we can't say, Oh no, we we don't believe that. We're we're gonna carry on doing what we want. We have to be aware of the environment because otherwise there will be social pressures before political pressures, where you'll drive something special, something from the nineteen sixties down the street, and instead of waves, instead of smiles, you're gonna get people scowling at you and <clears throat> excuse me, um saying you shouldn't be driving that. Um So I think we've got to be more aware of those social pressures than anything else. We've got to show that we can be responsible with our cars. That may well be um, synthetic fuels, etc. sustainable fuels might be the savior of us. It might just be the way we use our cars. Um, I think that's the biggest threat to us. I don't think that'll be a surprise to anyone. But if you look at all the events that go on around the world they're bigger than ever they're better than ever um goodwood in the uk pebble beach uh the amelia um and not just these headline events either the cars and coffee um there are so many things going on there's so much passion that i think that will save us um that's uh, i don't think i'm being naive in saying that i don't know what do you think dan
0: no, I, I think that's a really interesting point. And it's not where I expected your answer to go. And so I'm glad you, you you're right. There's a dichotomy happening here that I'm sort of continuously a little surprised that, that there is so much sort of dialogue happening in the public sphere about how everything is going electric. And, you know, there's a lot of sort of scare tactics about car enthusiasm is dying. And this whole thing is kind of going away with the baby boomers. And you're absolutely right. I, I you know, we're at the, Monterey Car Week has gotten to the point now, and I love it. And we were very busy that week. We have a lot of client projects happening all over the peninsula. Just getting around, logistically, has become extremely challenging because there's so many people there just to spectate. Not yeah. even at the shows and the concours and the races. There's young people lined up on the sidewalks holding cameras just to see all the cars drive by. And it seems like more every year. So yeah. you're right. It, it doesn't appear to be going. I mean, if anything, it's growing. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, our local cars and coffee gets bigger every year to the point now where, um, to your point, we have to sort of self-police where the, the gentleman who runs the cars and coffee in my little town, he sends out these sort of like heated emails. like you know, Don't do burnouts and don't rev your engines because, for exactly the point you're describing. It, because we have sort of a good thing. But if we're obnoxious about it, and the neighbors start to complain, then, then we lose it. So how yes. do we sort of self self-regulate so that we don't, so we don't upset the the general public to the point, like, you know, I, I think we have a, um, my company has a neighbor, a couple offices away that, um, they make dressage accessories for, you know, horse showing. Um, and I, I always kind of drive by their office and look at it and it makes me think like, is that where this is all headed? Like at one point that was the way you got around was on a horse and now it's become this sort of, niche hobby and and i I wonder if that's i mean that's not bad necessarily if that is where this is going at least they have an outlet and an opportunity to still do their thing but i do wonder if that's where this is all going I, i don't know
1: i think we already see it that there are far fewer collector cars being used on the street every day um usually when you see one it's on its way to to an event um maybe Not necessarily to take part in an event, but to drive your nice car to something that's happening Um, rather than just driving a classic car every day as everyday transport. There's far less of that Um, and that's, you know, that's a fairly crucial point, actually, because, you know, obviously our cars aren't as efficient as a modern car. but they're doing so few miles every year. And also the cars have been saved all these years. They've been, you know, almost recycled over the years. uh, From, it it will have had a rusty time, it will have had a tired time, and then it will have been restored. And all the energy put into making the car in the first place, that's, you know, it's kind of been saved. Um, So much energy used up making a new car, I think it's very special and very important to remember that we are saving a bit of history and um, we're, we're not really damaging the planet. We are we're doing something quite special and keeping people interested and understanding engineering and technology and history. Um, it's kind of crucial, isn't it?
0: Well, and you brought up another point that I, I wanted to touch on because I think it's totally astute which is that, you know, you open a news app right now and it is really hard not to get depressed. There is just so much negativity in the world right now and so many challenging things. Really for the last four or five years, it's just been sort of constant barrage of war and disease and economic mayhem and all this stuff. So anytime we can sort of distract ourselves from that, because I think most people, their day-to-day lives are still pretty good but you look at sort of the global news and certainly the velocity of the news it kind of gets back to that thing we were talking about earlier with the, you know nuance and and speed and 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 now you can just get you know 24/7 news feeds right straight to your eyeball from a phone and certainly the clicks that get driven by net bad news travels much faster than than good news so that's what they put on there and anything we can do to sort of counter program against that i think is positive and and my my wife actually has a a 57 ford ranch wagon and it's sort of uh sunshine yellow and uh, she's a landscape designer so sometimes she uses it to haul like big baskets of flowers around and stuff and every single time she drives that car Everywhere you go, people are just beaming, they're smiling, they're waving, they come in, and and she's had the car now for six or seven years and she's never gotten over the fact that she can stop at the supermarket, she can stop for gas she, and if everywhere she goes, people, random strangers come up and they either have a story or they knew someone who had a 50s station wagon or they just want to know more about it or even young people who have no idea what they're looking at. It just makes them happy. And I, I don't know that you get that from a Prius or a Tesla or whatever. So all due respect to those cars, I think their engineering is, is phenomenal, but they don't elicit an emotional response. So I, I do think that's a positive, and it's maybe not one to be overlooked.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm with you. Um, I think, you know, we, I don't mean uh, Magneto, Octane, Hothouse Media, I think we as a collector car world do make the the rest of the world a little bit better in so many ways you know for for individuals these cars can be a focus that they either de-stress on they might be taking it apart putting it back together they might be talking with their friends about it they might be reading a book or a magazine or the internet and finding out more about it but it is an escape from real life and it's a really beautiful escape um, and I think that counts for all eras. I uh, I've I've got a neighbour here, um, a lad called Bobby, who's the nicest guy. He's thirteen. He loves cars. He's obsessed by my old Subaru and my um my Saab. Um any car press car I bring back, he he can't wait to come and see it. You know, he's he's young but he knows everything about these cars and he can't get enough of it. It's just like probably you were, Dan, or like I, I was when I was that age. And there's still that enthusiasm and there's still that excitement. And I think that goes right through the generations. Uh, that people still get so excited about cars of every age. And I think that's just amazing. We're so privileged to be in that world.
0: I love that. So as you and Jeff travel the world and go on your adventures and cover stories and events, and I'm, I'm certain that part of that involves a meeting with advertisers and companies, and some of these probably do their own marketing, and some have some big ad agency that does their media buying for them. But what, do, how are the conversations unfolding, especially now as you, uh, you know, you you worked at a kind of a independent thing, and then you worked for a big publishing company, and then you started your own uh, enterprise again, and now suddenly that enterprise is is scaling substantially how do you talk to both the advertisers on the av- and the agency side on the brand side you know principles of these companies about what they should do with you and what what is the role of of your company and of print and of print advertising, and certainly, you know, how, how does that fit with their sort of larger plans? Of certainly, their most of these companies are also advertising online. They're doing social selling. They're, you know, I'm sure they're working with influencers. And there's all these different sort of buckets that a, a marketer can now utilize to promote their brand. And, and what is how, how do you kind of explain what you do and how you can work together with them on on the print side?
1: Yeah. I always think online, there are so many brands and you could Google, you know, Ferrari for sale and you could end up with anyone. Um, Anybody can do a website. It doesn't take a lot. It doesn't take uh, too much money or time. But if you're advertising in a magazine, a print magazine, we do, we're pretty careful about who we take adverts from for starters. you know for one thing we we want uh, we want to be paid by the advertiser to be really blunt about it, but also we would never put somebody in a magazine a, a company in a magazine that we knew was not uh a reputable company um so it's a great way of building a brand we often say to companies don't don't try and Uh, advertise say to a dealer don't try and advertise your very latest stock in here Um, because it's quite possible if it's fast moving stock say cars of that are tens of thousands of pounds or dollars then it's quite possible that the magazine will be out before uh, sorry that the car will be sold before the magazine is out Uh, it's more about building your brand and building that trust and relationship where there's a recognition so you go oh yeah it's it's that advertiser it's that dealer it's that watchmaker we, we've seen them in Magneto or Octane or wherever else and um, I think that's a really big deal um, in the same sense you know you've got lots of car lots of um, companies like um, oh, I'm trying to think that there are certain cars that are selling on the internet on the on Instagram you know somebody will a dealer will put up a car on a an Instagram post and that car will sell immediately. Um, but that is because they've built a reputation already. Um, so uh, somebody who's viewing this post on Instagram knows that that company already has a very, very strong reputation. And that's through seeing them in editorial features, advertising in print magazines. Talking on to to recognised journalists on YouTube, etc. Uh, so I think there are so many different ways of doing it. We've got a Magneto website. We've got weekly email newsletter. We've got social media. All these things all combine to build a brand.
0: I, I love that answer. And I, as you're explaining that, what I kept visualising was rather than the old days where there was just a sort of single fire hose. Uh, what you have explained and laid out is, is, is many garden hoses in one bucket. So it's sort of, you're still filling the bucket. You're just filling it in a different way. And I think that's probably a safe and effective way to do it too. So David, I know you've given us a lot of your time. Last question. Um, what is, as someone who, you know, and and it's interesting, I, I don't know if you consider yourself a journalist or an entrepreneur or both. You, you clearly are both. What is the best advice you could give to a young entrepreneur and what would you tell them if they were thinking about either starting their own company or starting a media company or, or you know, anything kind of related to what your arc in your career has been? You know, what, what advice could you share?
1: It, it'd be very easy to say, just go and do it. Uh, that's naive because lots of people have just gone and done it and they then close again after a few months. You've got to talk to so many people and understand your world and be really, really harshly realistic about it uh, and ask people what they think. Would they buy whatever you're talking about doing? Is there really a market? Um, So it's to be extremely thorough but also have a a little touch of madness to it as well and go, all right, I've done my research. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do this thing that I've always wanted to do but you know you've got the research behind you. It doesn't mean it's going to work. You do need a bit of bravery, a bit of recklessness to on top of all that research and, and sensible stuff you've done.
0: That's a great answer. And, and I actually, I lied. I have one more question, and then uh, I will let you go on with your evening. What is, as you think about your career, what is the biggest mistake that you can think of that you made? And what did you learn from it? Um, sorry it kind of i've made bomb so many
1: mistakes it's off the scale how many mistakes i've
0: made that's a great answer my philosophy is make every mistake once and then you can learn from it and and it's no longer a mistake well david thank you so much for coming on the show uh where can people find you online where can they look for your uh your, your titles and your properties and, and and your magazines where where can they find more from you
1: um, they can find both Octane and uh, Magneto in Barnes & Noble. Um, in fact, Octane is the uh, best-selling uh, overseas magazine in Barnes & Noble, from what I understand. Um, also online, um, magnetomagazine.com, um, octanemagazine.com, um, or just Google them. And you'll find those. And if you want to read all about the the entire company and what we're up to, that's on um, hothousemedia.co.uk. But also you can obviously follow us on social media as well. And um, you'll find ways of getting hold of me via the websites as well. So, you know, um, emails are always welcome. Mm
0: And I, I strongly advise our listeners to subscribe. That's a great feeling to go to your mailbox and, and have a copy waiting for you. So, uh, that,
1: well, yeah, it's a great feeling to see more subscribers, too. No, this is brilliant. I'd, you know, I love subscribing to magazines.
0: Very good. Well, thank you so much for your time today, David. Congratulations on the acquisition. I I think that's phenomenal. I think it's good for our community and it's good for the media and and hopefully it's good for you and and Jeff and your partners. Uh, And that is the uh, wrap on today's episode of Only the Strong Survive. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Let me know what you think by rating this podcast on the platform you are listening to. Thank you again to David Lillywhite for coming on the show and I hope you all have a great day.